0: What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. I'll give you the moon, Barry. I'll take it. I'll have what she's having. What do you want? It's not that simple. What it's- do you want? I was wondering if you'd uh, want to come. Uh, yeah, yes, sure. <laughs> Look, Sarah, I just have questions. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth!
1: You can't handle the truth!
0: Why are you keeping this curiosity door locked?
1: Because I want to fit in. Would you stop thinking about what everyone wants? Stop thinking about what I want, what he wants, what your parents want. Do you know what I want? No, you don't know what I
0: want, because you never cared. What is it you say, is? Certainty, peace. What do you want?
1: Good evening, Hope. Merry Christmas. Uh, it's really, first nice you to say you chose wisely. At the last service, it was elbow to elbow, and this is like a little bit more comfortable um, and a little bit more spread out. Uh, and I'm just really, really glad that you're here and that we're worshiping together. My name is Danny Householder. I'm a pastor here. If we haven't met, I would love to meet you. Let me go ahead and continue from that video that we just watched. What is it that you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? You've been asked that maybe your whole life. What kind of imagery does that bring back for you? Are you thinking back to like being in the mall in line waiting for Santa? Do you think about running downstairs or running to the Christmas tree growing up, waiting to see what was there for you underneath the tree? What do you want for Christmas this year? When I think about what do you want for Christmas, my mind goes back to when I was growing up. And for us, we would gather around the Christmas tree and we'd open these different presents. And we'd open up these little tiny ones. I'd just kind of rip through them as fast as I could. But my parents would always say, wait for the big one. Here comes the big one. Are you ready? Here's the big one. And they'd say, here it comes. And sometimes they'd kind of trick us. Like we'd open up a little one of like shoelaces. Like that was the big one. Like, OK, not funny, mom and dad. Come on, where's the big one? And we'd ask them.
0: I love Christmas and I sing about Christmas and it's, did you know it's Christmas?
1: Uh, hey, uh, who, who are you?
0: Oh, I'm Carrie the Elf.
1: Oh, who are you? Carrie the Elf, I, I'm Danny. It's nice to meet you. It's I, nice to meet uh, you too. Are you doing
0: something? You look like you're trying to get on the nice list with that suit and everything.
1: Well, you know, it, it happens every now and then. I appreciate that. It, you
0: know, I actually have a gift for you. Really? Yeah, because I thought you just needed some.
1: Oh, wow, I'm so glad this is not in the script. Okay. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right, why not? I'll join the elf team. But
0: I just have all of these gifts to give, and, and I'm just working so hard.
1: Wow, well, what, what, what are you doing here, by the way?
0: Uh, I'm giving out gifts.
1: What, isn't that Santa's job?
0: Well, didn't you hear yesterday that the Sky 35 closed?
1: Sky, Sky, you mean I-35.
0: No, I mean Sky35. How else do you think Santa gets around?
1: Oh, right, with the reindeer. That makes sense. Okay, Sky, they yeah, fly. And okay.
0: Oh, speaking of reindeer, Santa gave us all our own personal reindeer to get around on this year.
1: Really? Yeah, look at him. Oh, and well, he's, so he's kind of dark there, but that looks just like my dog. In oh, fact, no, that is just, my dog. is so <laughs> cute.
0: <laughs> and he really helps me get all these. I, just, I love giving.
1: Oh, that's fun. So are you traveling alone this year?
0: Oh no, elves don't travel alone. I came with my friend, Pete the Elf.
1: Pete the Elf? Well, let's yes, give a warm it. welcome to Pete the Elf. All right. Yay, I'm so excited you're here. Oh no. Pete, it's Christmas. He,
0: it's Christmas. He, some, yeah.
1: come on. Oh. He, doesn't, he doesn't look quite as excited as you are about Christmas. Yeah. Hey, 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 Pete the Elf. Hey. You don't seem very happy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm kind of oh. bummed out. What's wrong? Well, it's Christmas, and there's just, nothing's working out right. I, Santa told me I you know, needed to make ten thousand presents, and instead I made nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-eight. But I just got too cold.
0: My little we we Santa said it's fine. No, oh, it's not fine. And
1: yeah. those keyboard elves—they were making fun of me a little bit ago. I, and then I don't know. The other day, Nancy the elf—I called. I called. Oh, I called her a name. I should not called her. Oh but no. said you're sorry and it's I, fine. I'm Pete, just it's gonna Christmas. get because yeah. of that I'm gonna get cold for Christmas and no, <sighs>
0: Pete, Pete, you're acting like this is gonna be like the worst Christmas ever. Yeah, it
1: is. I'm just a of headed uh, niggie muffin. No! Room. Oh no, you're not. Pete,
0: this is not gonna be the worst Christmas ever because it can't be the worst Christmas ever. It is. In fact, this is one gonna be like the best Christmas ever because I'm just so joyful. I know, you're so full of joy, and I get that. I, I wish I could be like you, but I just, I'm not full of joy like you are, Carrie. Oh, Pete, you're acting like it's all about being happy. No, it's not about happiness, because happiness is what happens on the outside. But joy, joy is what happens on the inside. Yeah.
1: That's pretty good. Happiness is what happens on the outside, and joy is what happens. Can we put that on the board? That's pretty good. I think we'll use that for the sermon. Yeah. That's great. That's really wow.
0: Just over. Yeah. And Pete, in fact, I have gifts for you. Yeah, really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Real fun. No, thing. Pete. No, I have a gift for you, and it's for everyone in the room. Everybody's getting coal. Everyone. In fact, do you mind if I preach for a minute?
1: I mean, are you sure you want to? Uh,
0: this is like my six hundred and sixty-fifth Christmas. How many have you had?
1: Not that many. So go ahead, please. Yeah, it's looks nice. Okay. okay. What is it?
0: Oh. It's the Bible. Oh, okay. And on the inside, it's about what's on the inside. Yeah, okay. In Luke 2, chapter 8, it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, because I bring you goodness that will bring you great joy for all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, and you will recognize him. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, and suddenly the angel is joined, praising God and saying glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Isn't that the best joy ever? That really is, I get it. I have that joy in me then, right? Yeah, and that yeah. joy that we get to give all these gifts and be so happy, but it's that joy inside. Yes. And it's for you. Oh, thank you. And it's you. for you. Yes. And it's
1: for you. Thanks, Carrie the Elf. Thanks, Pete the Elf. Yeah, you bet. Merry Here Christmas. We've got all these gifts to deliver. Let's Merry Christmas, Let's give it up for our elves. How amazing, they, huh? Wow. And not that I don't love my gift, but uh, it itches. Uh, And if you guys see our youth and family team like Pete and Carrie, that would be awesome. Let me know. Um, They just look so much like them. It's crazy. Uh, We definitely do like to have fun on Christmas. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that because Christmas should bring us joy, but maybe joy is something different than what we thought. Like Carrie just said there, happiness is based on the things that happen outside of us, but the joy that we get at Christmas is something that transforms us from the inside out. And because it transforms us from the inside out, it's something that cannot be taken away from you. It cannot be taken from you, and that is the best Christmas gift any of us could get, regardless of what is underneath your tree, whether that is a real tree or a metaphorical tree. You have a gift that has been given to you that cannot be taken away. It's the same gift that the angel told the shepherds about long ago. You will recognize this baby by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now, I'm not saying that Luke was actually trying to say that Jesus was wrapped up like a Christmas gift, but it is kind of convenient, isn't it? Here's Jesus, wrapped up, presented to you. God's saying, here I am. I love you so much, I would let you hold me. I would get close. I would get vulnerable. I would get near. But he'd even get more than near. See, there's a word that they call Jesus, and it's Emmanuel. Would you go ahead and say Emmanuel? Emmanuel. And Emmanuel literally means God with us. Maybe you've heard that before. But it's important for us to remember that it's not saying God is near us. It is not saying that God stands next to us. It's saying God is with us. God is with you. God's not just conveniently, accidentally, located geographically close to you. He's actually on your team. He's cheering for you. He wants what's best for you. He's advocating for you. He loves you. God is with you. So when we think about that and we ask this question, what is it? What do you want for Christmas? And I'm not just talking about what's on your wish list for what would show up underneath the tree. I'm talking about what is it that your soul is looking for? It's looking for something deeper than what could be found on a tree. It's looking for something that can only be filled in the depths of your heart, the depths of your soul. Jesus used to ask this question. When Jesus, this baby who showed up in a manger, grew up, he's walking around, he's gathering disciples in John chapter one, and he notices some people following him, and he says, what do you want now, that almost sounds insensitive. What do you want? I don't think that Jesus was wording it like that. And especially because of the word that Jesus used for, what do you want? He said a word and it sounds like this, zeteo. Would you say zeteo? In zeteo, it means what are you looking for? But deep down, what it really means is the deepest desires of your soul. The thing that your heart truly hungers for. Something that can only be satisfied on the inside. What is it that is going to make or break this life for you? Now their response to Jesus is pretty interesting too. They say rabbi. They call him rabbi. I think that that's interesting. It's the word for teacher. Today in Jewish synagogues, they will still call their leaders rabbi. They're saying, you're the teacher. You're the one who knows the answers. So where are you staying? Could we go with you? Wherever that is. Could we get near to you? Could we get by you? Now, Jesus is the one who says, at Christmas, I'm the one who comes close to you. Now, Jesus doesn't just explain to them a bunch of different answers. Well, here's how you're going to get close to me. Instead, he says, you'll have to see it. Literally, he says it like this. Come and see. Come and see. Have you ever seen something that was so beautiful, you wouldn't believe it unless you were there to see it with your own eyes? Have you ever had an experience, have you ever had a journey that's just so amazing and breathtaking that you wouldn't have thought it was possible unless you were there. Words could not explain it. This is a picture that I took of my wife three years ago this month. It was three years ago this month, that I proposed to Abby. Um, we were just outside of Las Vegas. You can see the Las Vegas strip like in the very, very top of like the horizon line there. Um, So yeah, your pastor went to Las Vegas to get engaged. That's another sermon for another day. And we'll talk about that another time. But it was kind of like the process of life, right? Like we're hiking this mountain to try to get to this glorious spot that would be worthy of a proposal. And like you said, it's kind of like life. Life and Christmas, it's kind of like this big buildup. We're just trying to get there. And then it's going to be the gift. Then it's going to be the thing that makes or breaks my year, makes or breaks my my month, makes or breaks my week, my day, or maybe even something as big as my life. It's going to make or break everything. It's this buildup. And then, at every mountain, you get to the top and you have to come down. And sometimes that's what Christmas feels like. Well, even on this, this is this great, incredible build-up to what I think is going to be the most amazing moment of my life. And as I'm trying to find a spot that would look nice for a proposal, Abby and I are walking and she just decides to sit down on a rock. I mean, like three minutes before I was about to say, will you marry me? Please. She just sits down on a rock. And I'm kind of freaking out on the inside. I was already nervous. I was already sweating, even though it was cold. I've got this ring in my pocket. I'm praying that I don't drop it in some crack through the rocks. I'm really scared. I'm like, really calm. like, Abby, uh, what do you say we keep moving, sugar? She's like, you don't call me that. I'm like, I know, sorry. Can we just keep moving? She's like, no, I want to stay here. I'm like, there are going to be more sights to see. She's like, I like this one. And at this point, I'm really starting to freak out. I'm like, we've got to go. We've got to keep moving. I'm going to panic. Not to mention we had a flight that we had to catch back, like, really quick. I know. I was so romantic the way that I planned it all out. Not rushed. And I said to her, Abby, we really got to move. I mean, I'm really pushing it. We're, like, fighting three minutes before we got engaged. And she said to me a line that made me stop in my tracks. It's one of those things where when you hear it, you think it must have just been in a movie. Because it's one of those moments where time just stops and my heart realized I was getting something that I always needed that I always wanted, that I'd always longed for. And she just said, Danny, if you don't slow down, you're going to miss it. And I was like, I think I heard that in Ferris Bueller, but you're right. (laughs) She was right. Can you slow down? Can you stop? I mean, even if you're not at the climax of the world right now, even if you haven't reached the mountaintop, can you just stop and take this sight in? Because if you're not looking, you're not going to see it. If you're not soaking it in, you're going to miss it. You're not going to be able to just reflect on this later and try to put words on it. Really soak this in. There are some things that are too beautiful. And I'm telling you, the last three years with Abby, it's been something I would only believe if I saw. We had to be together through it. There are things that are happening on the outside. They're high, they're low, they're good, they're bad, whatever it may be. But then there's something that's so beautiful about what's happening on the inside for our marriage. And it's something that I couldn't describe to you with words. And if you've got a close relationship in your life, if you've got a spouse, if you've got a close parent, if you've got a close friend, a close sibling, someone who really gets you, you know there's no way to actually describe that. You just have to get to know them. You just have to do life with them. You just have to walk with them. You just have to be with them, not just conveniently located next to them. You'd have to be with them, see life with them, do life with them. Come and see, Jesus says, I don't want you to just know about me. I want you to really know me. I want you to see what I see. I want you to feel what I feel. I want you to know what I know. I want you to be with me. Jesus was saying this to people as he's walking, gathering disciples, and I get it. He's just saying it kind of if you read it in between the lines, but how else can you explain it? You just have to come and see. Now, why am I talking about Jesus' life as an adult when he's gathering disciples when here we're celebrating Christmas, right? Like Jesus showed up as a single cell that eventually developed into a baby. There he is laying in the manger. That's what Christmas is. But Christmas is the moment we meet Jesus. It's the moment that God becomes revealed to us. Has God been revealed to you? Have you met Jesus? And maybe for some of you, you just grew into this. You don't know a day in your life when you didn't know Jesus. Maybe for some of you, it was more dramatic. It was like a microwave zapping kind of moment. You just got there one day. But for all of us, we have this opportunity to meet Jesus and for these disciples who were following Jesus, that was their Christmas. That was their moment. God in the flesh was revealed to them. Like they had waited into their adult lives to finally see God in the flesh to know him. Like how much privilege do we have these days when we say, yeah, hey, God, of course, he came into the world. He showed up as Jesus. These are people, they didn't know what was going to happen. And for them, Christmas was Jesus is there walking, telling me, come and see. Follow me. Come and see. Now, I know a lot of times when people tell you to come and see, sometimes they let you down. Maybe you'll open up Christmas presents and you are like, okay, that's a little bit of a letdown. Like, not going to lie, with my parents growing up, the big ones were always really great. But then I'd open some other presents and I'm like, well, that's not awesome. I'll probably return it. My brother is a horrible gift giver. Like, it's not because he's not capable of giving good gifts. He just thinks that it's funnier and better to give gifts that will make me laugh. He takes way more joy in that than gifts that I would actually enjoy. So, for example, he sent me a gift this year. He and his wife can't come to Iowa because they're expecting another baby in a month, which is really exciting. So, John just sent me two turtle dove Christmas ornaments. And you might say, oh, that's really beautiful. They're doves of friendship. No, it's not beautiful. It's just dumb. It's just It's not cool. I'm going to return this and get my $7.99 back. He left the price tag on. How tacky, right? John's kind of always been like that, where he doesn't necessarily put a whole lot of thought into the gift, but there's something that goes to it. I remember I was putting a ton of thought into the gift when I was a senior in high school. I was working at Shields, and I had this huge discount when I was working there. I'm like, aha, uh-huh, I'm going like, to really put a lot into my Christmas gifts. I'm going to blow everyone away. My parents would be there. My grandparents would be there, my siblings. So I'm like, really putting a lot of thought into my presents, and I'm handing them to people. Like I got my grandma a blanket. I got my dad a jacket. I got my mom a pair of shoes. Like No, don't get me wrong. I had a job, but I was spending way more money than I actually had, even though I had a discount there. Really big problem. But as I'm handing them around, like, nobody's really responding like I thought that they were going to respond. Meanwhile, my brother stands up, and he hands everybody a card. And as everybody's opening their card that he pan made by himself with, like, notebook paper, they open it up, we all, we all realize, oh, we got the same thing. It said, from John, a hug. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? I got you a pair of Jordans. I can't afford that. And you got me a hug? And then my grandma stands up. And she goes, John, you're my favorite grandchild. I wish I was kidding. John, you're my favorite grandchild. And she hugs him. My brother and my, my mom and my, or my sister and my mom and my dad, they embrace him. And I'm just the grumpy teenage kid sitting on the couch. like, You've got to be kidding me. I am indebted to like reindeer Christmas sweater quilters that I bought $100 quilts off or sweaters off, whatever it might be. You got me a hug? I'm saying that I'm missing out, right? Like I'm missing out on like, a gift that wouldn't fade away. Like it was love, it was relationship. I don't think that John at that age was actually putting that thought into it. But I was giving my family gifts that would be taken away. He was giving a gift, metaphorically, that could not be taken away. Relationship. Love. When Jesus walks in your life, whether it's when you're an adult, whether it's when you're a baby, when you meet him, when you start to go with him, when you see life with him, when you see that he is with you, you will see that you're not going to get all the material things that you thought maybe would happen for someone who's following God. But you will get the thing that nobody can take away from you. Real joy. Real peace. Real love. This really happens. Because Christmas really happened. Every year I'll read something about how, you know, Christmas is just metaphorical. It's this beautiful, symbolic thing. No, it it really happened. The Bible doesn't let us get away with just saying, like, oh, it's metaphorical, it's symbolic. In fact, the context of the story of Christmas tells us otherwise. In Luke chapter 2, it tells us this. "At uh, At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. What is Luke saying? Luke's saying, hey, do you remember that year where there was that crazy emperor, Caesar Augustus? And he told millions of people, I want to count how many people follow me and worship me as their emperor. So I'm going to have millions of people migrate back to their family's hometown. And do you remember that year? That year was crazy. Luke's saying, that's the year when all this really happened. It would be like saying to someone, do you remember 2020? And be like, yes. And you'd shake a little bit and quiver and your eye would start to twitch. Yes, we remember. Luke is saying, it happened. He's not saying once upon a time. He's not saying in a galaxy far, far away, He was saying, "You remember what happened? You remember the chaos? You remember the context in which God showed up into the world? God's people, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they were being taxed completely unfairly by the Roman Empire, by the Roman Empire. A long time ago, God's people had been oppressed, they had been uh, destroyed by the Assyrians, and now there's a new group, a new set of troubles, and isn't that just like life? Maybe one trouble's gone, but then here's another trouble here. What is it? This is the context in which these prophecies are being fulfilled. It's an unexpected time with an unexpected God showing up in an unexpected way. But the prophet said, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace." That that time, when it was crazy, when the world was nuts, that's when Jesus showed up. These things really did happen. This is a real gift that can show up in your real life. You don't have to miss out on this. It's for you. So what is this gift of Christmas? What goes into it? When you unwrap the gift of Jesus, what is it that you're finding? I think that tonight I want to talk about three things. The first one is the gift of Christmas means that fear can be healed. I'm not saying that fear goes away, but fear can be healed. I'm not saying that scary things won't exist anymore, but I'm saying that fear can be healed with courage. I think a lot of us are dealing with fear these days, and it's not necessarily our fault. Most fear, I would say, is not our fault. Most fear happens because you were taught that. Most fear happens because there's something that's happening in your brain that's not allowing you to see the world for the way that it really is. There was a study that came out very recently that said 67% of people, two out of every three people are dealing with chronic fear. Some point, every single day, there's something that just makes them stop. I can't take this. And those numbers are higher than ever. We've got more conveniences than ever. We've got more technology than ever. Life should be easier than ever. And yet we're more scared than ever. We're struggling. We're hurting. Now, for me, as a person who does deal with anxiety and who hurts on those things and has a hard time with it, I'll tell you this. Misery loves company, so I'm really glad I'm not alone. Two out of three of you feel just like me. But if you're like me, you can know this the gift of Christmas is not held back from you. Because you have a God who shows up in this world and says, You don't have to be afraid. Do you notice that? Every single time that the angels talk to people, they always have to say it like this Hey, don't be afraid. This is what the angels said to the shepherds Don't be afraid. When we think of angels, sometimes we think about these cuddly, soft little creatures that we see in the storybooks. But then why is it that every time the angels show up, they're like, whoa, hey, I'm not trying to kill you. Don't be afraid. What is it? In the Greek, it says that they, uh, they, were, they had score fear. They were, I mean, they're just so afraid. They're so scared. But the angel says there's nothing to be afraid about when it comes to Jesus entering your life. I mean, Jesus will rock your world. He'll change you. He'll do a lot of stuff. But you don't have to be afraid of Him. The angels say, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Everybody say good news. It's important to remember that Christmas is about good news. So often when we talk about Christmas, when we talk about faith, we talk about good instruction, we talk about good plans, we talk about good habits, and we talk about hopefully good results. There's nothing wrong with good instructions. There's nothing wrong with a good plan. There's nothing wrong with a good habit. There's nothing wrong with a good result. Definitely not. But those are the things that tell you how to live. Good news tells you that you get to live. The angels are there saying, you no longer have to figure out how to live on your own. I'm telling you, you actually get to live because God has shown up and shown you as the creator of this world, how creation is supposed to live. Free. Loved, secure, embraced, holy, with peace, with joy. Good instructions, they're fine, but the only thing that they'll tell you how to do is how to live. But the good news, and the word for for good news in the New Testament is gospel. The gospel of Jesus, the good news is, he's telling you, you get to live. I think that's refreshing because there are a lot of us who feel like we're held back from life. Maybe it's because of our fears, our anxieties, or our depression. Maybe it's because of a broken relationship. Maybe it's because of uncertainty at work. Maybe it's because we're afraid of that person at school. Maybe it's because we're worried that 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 friendship isn't going to work out. What is it that's holding you back from life? Jesus says, whatever your situation is, by showing up into this world, he is telling us, I'm still going to give you life. I'm not holding back. This is good news telling you that you get to live because Christmas can heal our fear. Now, Christmas, it is also for you. Pete, in that skit at the beginning there, he was like, no, Christmas, it's for the happy elves like Carrie. Maybe you're saying, Christmas is for people who are on the nice list, and I'm on the naughty list. Don't you know that Christmas is not about a nice list or a naughty list? Instead, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, I don't want you to be excited about your performance. Instead, I want you to be excited and take joy in the fact that your name is in the list in heaven. Your name is written in the book of life. You belong in eternity. You belong with me. It's actually for you. If we go back to that proclamation from the angel, it says, Don't be afraid. I'll bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Everybody say, All people. All people. Did you know that that's you? If you're a person, that's you. And the Bible also says that all of creation longs to sing God's praise. So when I go home and I see my dog, Denver, and he's crazy, I'm like, you know what? You're just singing God's praise, buddy. We need to sing God's praise, too. It is for all people. One of the really controversial things about the early Christian church is how they were so inclusive and how they invited everybody. Because you had two groups of people. On one side, you had the Greeks and the Romans, and they were like these Gnostics. They knew everything. It was all about knowledge and gathering wisdom, philosophical understandings of things. And on the other side, you had these religious people who were very well-behaved. They were perfect. They were stoic. They didn't make mistakes. Very, very religious. Very, very good. And then here comes the church, and in Galatians, it tells us this. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. You are one in Christ Jesus. You're all very, very different people, but you all belong. And this was totally countercultural. I think one of the most beautiful symbols in the entire world, you can actually go to Bethlehem today and see it. I've never been to Bethlehem. My parents have been there, though. And if you walk into the church where apparently the location is where Jesus was laid to rest in his manger as a baby, we don't know that for sure if that's exactly where he was, but we do know he's in the neighborhood. And traditionally speaking, this is the place where they say Jesus was born. Now, it's not this space that you're seeing right there on the, on the camera, or on the, on the screen. You actually have to kneel down and walk through this tiny little doorway. It's like three and a half feet tall, my parents said. Now that's funny to me because my dad is six foot five, and I'm just imagining him with his broad shoulders squeezing through that tiny little door. But it's making a point. Those who walk with Jesus have humbled themselves. They realize it's not about my knowledge, it's not about my behavior, it's not about my performance. Don't you know that if your performance can't save you, your performance also cannot condemn you? You belong with Jesus. You get to humble yourself. You get to be like a child. You get to walk through the smallest of doorways to show up and be welcomed in the presence of God. It's not about being being tall, high, and mighty. It's not about being at the mountaintop experiences of life. It's not about sitting on your throne over everybody else. It's about taking the position that Jesus took. In what position did Jesus take? Jesus isn't telling us to crawl on our knees just because he likes to see it. Jesus is saying, this is where I live. In Philippians chapter 2, we read this. Though he was God, meaning Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. He gave up his spot. He walked through the tiniest of doorways. He got on his hands and knees quite literally. As a baby, he would eventually learn to walk. And what's that period between laying in a manger and walking? God actually crawled on his hands and knees. He got humble. Do you think Christmas isn't for you? Then you've met the wrong God. The God of Christmas, Jesus, who shows up, he actually wants to be with you, not just near you, with you, on your team, cheering for you. So Christmas, when we unwrap these gifts, we see that it can heal fear. We see that it's actually for you. Your name is on this gift. And then finally, it never ends. The gift of Christmas never ends. While we're sitting there with my family around the Christmas tree, and I'm that grumpy teenager because John has just hugged everybody. And they're like weeping, like, he's such a great kid. And I'm like, jerk, you know. As John is finishing his rounds around the family. He looks at me. He goes, still room for one more, brother? And John is a lot taller than me. He's bigger than me. And so I'm like, you know, I'm like walk over there. He smashes my face in his chest. Oh, it's so good to love family. Something along those lines. He said something funny. There's always room for one more, and it's never going away. Like, the opportunity is not wasted. It's not missed. Maybe you think that you had your opportunity with God. Nope. This gift never ends. It's always here. It never goes away. Let's take a look at that prophecy that was talked about. This is what the Messiah would be like. Again, at the very end, it says, he will be called all these things, and among these things, he will be called Prince of Peace. Now... If you look around this world today, you will say, that's interesting. Jesus said that he would be the Prince of Peace. He's looking around the world, and the government's going to rest on his shoulders. He'd be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. And I look around this world, and I I don't see a lot of peace. Now, keep in mind, Jesus also said that before me and after me, there are wars. As long as this world is the way that it is, and until I completely fulfill my promise to you, and he does fulfill every promise, there will be chaos. There will be craziness in this world but I'm still the prince of peace. My peace is not determined by the things that are happening around you. In the same way that joy is something that happens from the inside out, Jesus gives us a peace that never runs out and it's something that people can't touch. It's in your heart, it's in your soul. They can't take it from you. See, that word for peace, it's very interesting. Oftentimes when we think about peace, we think about the absence of those wars, the absence of that chaos. But the word in the Hebrew that was prophesied about this prince of peace is shalom. Everybody say shalom, and it means peace, and it also means completeness. Meaning that peace actually has nothing to do with what you're missing. Peace has nothing to do with something being gone. Peace isn't the, absen- the absence of your troubles. Peace is the presence of God. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that's holding you back, whatever it is that feels like it's taking the peace away from you, God says, I'm still going to complete you. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, I'm not going to hold back the fullness The foreverness, the eternity of my peace for you. Nobody can take it away. It was good news for people a very long time ago. It's very good news for people like you today. It's been very good news for people in between. In the 1800s, there was an author, a poet, and his name was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. One of my favorite names ever. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. There's a picture of him there. He looks grumpy, but I think he was a very kind man. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow is known as the uh, um, greatest American poet of all time. At the very least, critics say that uh, his poetry, among all American poets, has been read more than any author um, in all of American literature. So whether you know his name, you've likely read his stuff. Uh, In Christian circles, the most famous poem he ever wrote was, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And you hear that, and you hear, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, they're familiar songs they play. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. You're like, oh, there's a guy that just has it together. Life seems like it's really good for him. But if you take a look at his life story, you would see that it was not always good for him. On the surface, it did not seem like peace. Longfellow, early in life, early in adulthood, he was married to a woman named Mary. He loved her. Their entire life was before them. They were pregnant. They were going to have a baby. And on the day that their son was supposed to be born, the baby and his wife, Mary, passed away. He kept on persisting. He remembered his favorite psalm, Psalm chapter 121. I look up to the mountains. says my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord. It's not about the mountaintop. It's not about the buildup. It's about where God is and that God is with me. My help comes from God. So he keeps on moving forward. He finds a new love of his life. Her name is Fanny. They have six children together. Their first child is named Charles. He loved this son so much. Tragically, when life seemed like it was going okay, when it felt like the troubles had passed away, a new massive trouble tragedy showed up for him. In 1861, three days before their anniversary, Henry Longfellow's wife died tragically in a fire. Desperately, he tried to save his wife. He covered her with his own body. And though she died, he survived, but he was left critically wounded. He was so wounded that he couldn't attend the funeral for his wife. Instead, he sat in a hospital room being cared for, nurturing his wounds, angry, upset. How could this happen? Meanwhile, at the exact same time, the Civil War is breaking out in September of that year. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, one of the reasons why he was so famous was his courage to speak out against slavery. And there's chaos. Now there are people who are saying, No, slavery, we ought to do this. They're fighting back. They're doing everything they can to hold on to it. He's seeing the chaos external, outside. He's seeing the chaos in his own home. And on Christmas of 1861, he heard a familiar noise. He sat in his office and he heard the Christmas bells. A little like that. And as he's seeing the chaos in his life, he's kind of frustrated with how that juxtaposes with the absolute peace that God claims to give us. Oh, Christmas, what is that? He says, all these holidays are inexpressibly sad. I find no reason to unwrap them. Instead, we ought to just leave them and send them away, he wrote in his journal, Christmas Day, 1861. Christmas Day, 1862, he's still bitter and he's still angry. He's so upset, but it's about to get worse. He's so frustrated about this war that was happening between the Union and the Confederacy. And after reading his father's work, his son Charles decided, I need to join. His father desperately didn't want him to do it, but Longfellow's son, Charles, he ends up joining the Union and he fights against the Confederates. And Longfellow finds out on December 1st of 1862 that his son has been terribly hurt in battle. He's been shot it went through his shoulder and it came out from his back. Uh, He was within an inch of being paralyzed, but it definitely was not certain that he would survive. So here comes Christmas Day again. It just keeps on coming, right? It just keeps on happening. Year in, year out, here comes the reminders once again. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Where's the peace in my life? Christmas Day, 1862, he's sitting in his office at the place where he would always write, and he heard it again, the church bells. Pulls out his journal, and this time he's really just going to let his thoughts into the air, really show his frustration. He talked about how there was a child who told him Merry Christmas. He says, there is no merry in Christmas for me. And if there's peace, God hasn't given it to me. Don't you see what I'm missing? Don't you see the chaos? Christmas kept persisting. 1863, Christmas Day shows up. Legend has it that he was sitting in his office again with his journal out because this great writer wrote in his journal every single day. And as he's about to write, legend says that he heard the bells again and he had nothing to say. The greatest American poet that we've ever had left his journal empty on Christmas Day. And I don't think it's any accident that it was Christmas Day. Do you know what's happening inside of me? Do you know my anger? Do you know my chaos? Do you know my frustration? Do you know how horrible my life has gone? Silence for him. Christmas continues to persist. Like the church bells, it continues to persist. Christmas 1864 shows up, and again, he's sitting in his office. And as the rest of his children are going to church, and the entire town in Cambridge, Massachusetts, is going to their churches to worship God and talk about joy to the world and peace on earth, Henry Longfellow stays home. And as he's staying home, he hears the bells. Okay, God, we're going to have it out. Henry Longfellow opens up his journal, and he wrote the start of what we know today as, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And you hear that, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. So, like, that must be a jolly, happy tune, right? Peace on earth, goodwill to men, is what we think of when we hear that song. But have you ever read the lyrics? He opens it, and he says, I hear the bells on Christmas Day. They're old familiar carols play. And mild and sweet, their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Do you kind of sense the sarcasm in his voice there? In his writing? If you haven't yet, you will. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. None of it's true, is it? You ever felt like that? Now he's really going to lay in. From each accursed mouth, The cannon thundered from the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. The chaos is drowning out any peace I might have, any joy I might have. I thought this was untouchable. Where did it go? But Christmas continues to persist, and as he's writing this, the Christmas bells continued to ring. And they rang and they rang again and they ring again and they ring again. And they rang again. And something happened on the inside. He was mocking God, angry with him. And suddenly he writes, then rang the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. It's his favorite psalm in Psalm chapter 121. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never sleeps, slumbers, or sleeps. One poet reading from another poet inspired by the word of God. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. The ringing, singing on its way. The world revealed from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. The peace hasn't gone away. Neither is the chaos, neither is the troubles, I know. But for Henry Longfellow, it was true, and it can be true for you too. And it was true for Jesus' disciples, it was true for Jesus' parents, it was true for every single person that you read about in the Bible. And it's really true for real people here today, like Henry Longfellow, like you. Peace is not the absence of our troubles. It's the presence of Jesus who shows up on Christmas and says, I don't want to just be near you. I want to be with you. I'm bringing you my peace, my goodwill to men. It's for you, and nobody can take it. It's true shalom. It's full completion. I'm not holding back you're not incomplete because of the things that seem to break you. You have me and I'm not going anywhere. They couldn't take me. This little baby would grow up. He would live a perfect life. They tried to take him. They killed him and he came back again. He rose up. He sits on the throne in heaven and he's still coming back one day for all of us. All of his promises will be fulfilled. All of peace will be realized. It hasn't gone away. What's Christmas like for you this year as the bells ring, as you hear them? Is there some sort of cynicism inside of you that says that couldn't be for me? Yes, it is. It was for all the shepherds. It was for all the people. It was for all the Bible characters. It was for Mary, Longfellow's first wife. It was for Fanny, Longfellow's second wife. It was for Charles, Longfellow's son. It was for Longfellow himself. It's for you too. It's for every single person that you've ever loved. What's the name that's popping in your mind? Yes, for them. But yes, for you. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. His peace persists. This gift of Christmas isn't going anywhere. This is the big one. Are you ready to open it? His peace isn't going anywhere. In John chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible tells us that his light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Every light that we've ever known has eventually burned out. Every star has or will, every light bulb, every flashlight, and yet this light claims to be different. The darkness can't take it over. His peace will never go away. His joy will not stop. He keeps on persisting. He keeps on loving. He's with you. He's for you. He loves you. I invite the ushers forward. They're going to light their candles, and then they'll go around the room and light yours. And as the candle lights in front of you, let this symbol remind you that Jesus' light truly does shine in the darkness, whatever it might be for you these days. And if you're walking and it feels like you're in the light right now, I'm, I'm so happy for you. I'm cheering for you that that continues for as long as it can. But for all of us, someday we walk into a day of darkness. And even in the cold, dark winter, we feel the warmth of a candle and we're reminded that God's warmth, God's love, God's peace, God's joy, it never runs out. Jesus says, You are the light of the world, but He is your source for your light. And if He is never extinguishing, you will never extinguish either. This light shines in the darkness. And the darkness could never extinguish him. This light shines in you and shines through you. It's not a light that depends on what's happening around you. This is a light that shines from the inside out. You will never be extinguished because your Emmanuel, God with us, could never be extinguished. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let's sing together.